I'm like, I don't need you to agree with all the philosophies and systems. I just need you to treat other humans with respect and care. And yeah. it, was, it was it was a really beautiful moment that has stuck with me um, of what's more important is how we show up for each other in those moments than it is about whether you agree with the way that I frame whatever philosophy. Hey there, and welcome to the Tribe of Leaders podcast. I'm your host, Emmy Kirshner. I'm a serial entrepreneur, investor, and business coach for ambitious women who are boldly taking their business to the next level. And I believe that building a successful business isn't about working 24-7 just to merely meet a revenue goal. What it does take is a unique blend of dedication to purpose, courageous action, and frequently sheer will to overcome the odds that lead to meaningful impact and experiencing a life well lived. In each episode, you'll get to know the women and men who are unafraid to put it all on the line as they share the stories of success and failure that have made them incredible leaders and the magic they gift the world with. As you're listening, and I hope finding value, don't forget to share the Tribe of Leaders podcast with all of your other entrepreneurial friends and to follow us wherever you're listening to this podcast. Hey, Tribe. On the last couple episodes of the podcast, we've talked about team building, communication, um, leadership, and what it takes to be a good leader. And this episode follows along in that theme. So it one, if you haven't listened to the last couple of episodes, go ahead and do so because they all, in my head, at least tie together. And this episode really ties everything in a neat package for me. Our guest is Brian McCormick. He is the founder of Hummingbird. He is the founder of Hummingbird Humanity. And Brian's on a mission to help create a world where we accept each other, celebrate our differences, and recognize that we truly are better together. His background uh, really stems out of HR. He worked for Tapestry as the global head of inclusion. Tapestry houses the brands of Coach, Kate Spade, Stuart Weitzman, and he basically designed and launched the company's DEI strategy. And his take on DEI is a little bit different than everybody else, where he's looking at how we can all come together and acknowledge each other as humans and really start to take, and I see this more on corporate, but how to really take off kind of that uniform we tend to put on where there's no emotion, no feeling, no transparency and vulnerability and appreciate each other. And the part I love most about this episode is that he actually gives us a framework on how to bring people, teams, groups together and start to build understanding even when we are polarized and hold completely different beliefs, thoughts, and feelings. So I think you could take his framework and a lot of what he says and apply it not only in your own business, but in your life in general, as we are in a time of a lot of polarization. And I think the only solution is to start coming together and really hearing each other. So I hope you get as much out of this as I do. I loved the conversation with Brian and we're going to be actually wrapping up and doing something a little bit different. This is going to be the last male interview that I do for at least a really long time. I'm not going to say ever. And the reason why is I want to focus and 
and really hone in on more women-centric businesses so that it aligns with where my business is going as I'm more and more committed to seeing more women entrepreneurs succeed. So buckle up because it's going to be a fun ride as always. And I hope, as I said, that you enjoy this episode as much as I do. Hey, Brian, I am so excited to have the opportunity to talk to you today. We connected a couple months ago. And before I forget, and before the noise pops back in, I do want to acknowledge that the apartment building I'm living in is under renovation. And although it's been quiet all day, we just listened to somebody I don't know if they were screwing something in or using a drill or whatever. So I apologize to everybody who's listening if that's still there, even after editing and fingers crossed they're done making whatever noise they had because who knew? But Brian, we have so much to talk about. I loved having you in the the conversations that we had just now before we hit record and in the pre-interview. So just share with everybody a little bit about who you are and what you're doing, the magic you make, why you started your business, just, you know, your life story. Sure, sure. Well, I mean, first of all, thank you so, so much for inviting me to be part of this conversation. I'm delighted to be with you and uh, always appreciate the opportunity to to share and and hopefully help others on their journey. And um, as I um, hope to make a difference in, in their knowledge and expanding their perspectives on what we at Hummingbird call humanity in the workplace, I also learn from every one of these conversations there because I'm an external processor. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to do that as well. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And I want to totally mention uh, the one of those humanity in the workplace realities of you know the acknowledgement of the sound that's happening around you right now. Like this is a new world, right? And and we all enter each other's homes, and those are now our new workplaces, um, and that's changed the dynamic. So it's an interesting time that we're in as uh, humanity becomes more of a conversation in in our workplaces, long long overdue. And that's you know that's a great sort of way to, to talk about who I am and, and what, what, what I do and what we do at Hummingbird. I'm the CEO and founder of Hummingbird Humanity, uh, mm-hmm. which is a consulting firm that helps companies and organizations bring to life what we call human-centered workplace cultures. Uh, so diversity, equity, and inclusion is part of that. Social impact is part of that. Wellness is part of that. So how do we really think about igniting and embracing the heart and soul of organizations and creating environments where humans thrive. So that's really what we do. And that's the, the the approach that we take, of course, is always continuing to evolve in different ways as we continue to learn from our, the people we work with and from each other. But the approach that we began with is really anchored in my uh, 20 plus years of experience in human resources roles and in diversity, equity, and inclusion roles. And as a gay man and a person with a disability who worked in corporate America and didn't always feel like I fit. Yeah. So that's a little bit about me um, or a lot about me in a short time frame. And where do you, where do you want to go from here? Yeah. Oh, so many places, so many places. What do you see? There's, I'm like trying to wrap my brain around all of the thoughts into, into one coherent sentence. Where do you see really the biggest problem with workplaces not being human-centric? And how is that changing right now? Because I think mm. there's a bunch of different places we can we can touch on. And why is the change important now, like in this moment? Sure. So, well, first of all, I, first of all, I want to provide just a, a hint of context of our framing around how I think about what human-centered workplaces, what that means to me. When I uh, started my first corporate role, so I, I had a 
career in movie theater operations as an operations manager before I moved into a, a corporate office space. And uh, when I worked in the field in operations, I came out and nobody cared that I was gay and that was, it was fine. And and that's, it has been the case in many ways in uh, restaurants and, and movie theaters and those service organizations, they've been, uh, those, those locations have been more inclusive than necessary than corporate offices have been. When I walked into my first day at my first corporate job in human resources, I, nobody told me, but I knew that I was supposed to take off what I call my code of emotions or my friend, Anne, uh, she says, she calls it her human suit. She has to take off her human suit and then we become this robot. And that robot has to enter who is actually a human and follow all of the rules and the norms and the expectations and not have any emotion, always be professional, always dress appropriately. And, you know, and there's a whole list of things we can talk about there. And you know, so we have to become someone that we're not in many ways. Um, I, I call it the company has asked you to assimilate as they do in Star Trek Borg, right? Well, that doesn't sound good, right? Because when you want Star Trek, you're like, that's a terrible idea. We do not want to assimilate to become the Borg. But that's what corporations have asked us to do. And so that takes out so much of, I think, it means that we're putting away the some of the things that make us, that is our magic, the things that we can bring to uh, the work and the conversation that would add value. And it can also be very demotivating and for for. For some, for many, it can also feel very harmful and hurtful in what they experience. So if I sort of paint the other side of that picture, what I think is is so important about it is that if we can create workplaces where humans can just be humans, and not to say that we shouldn't have some level of rules and structure, there's still something right, right. important. And, and part of human-centered workplaces is having clarity on expectations and uh, and what your what success looks like and having meaningful dialogue about how to to be successful, um, but it's also allowing humans to say, you know what, you know, right now in our world, there's so many things that are happening that are really hard and painful. We have the war in Ukraine. We have the murders and the mass shootings in the United States. We have the Roe Ro v. Wade decision, which has very you know, multiple points of view that people are navigating in workplaces. And I think there was a time where we would have sort of ignored that those things were happening and, and affecting the humans. And uh, that work at our companies. And now we're saying we have to talk about it and we have to figure out how do we engage in this dialogue. And so how do we find that intersection of we're humans and who, who are employees and and work in these environments uh, that historically I don't think allowed us to really be human. But but it's, if we can create places where humans thrive, I think they can really make a bigger difference than they've been able to. Yeah, I agree. And I'm really curious, like, why is it that corporations evolved until recently to be so assimilate into this unemotional, robotic, authoritarian being, right? Because it, and and really like work until you can't work anymore, right? Like really push past all of the boundaries so that you're exhausted, you're sick more. Like, I don't see any good benefits, but we've been doing it for decades. Yeah, you know, I would agree you know, I would agree that there aren't a lot of benefits to that culture um, and the outcomes of the, what that, that does for humans in workplaces today at a time when the workforce was rather homogenous and was predominantly straight, white, cisgender men. It worked on some level, although I want to acknowledge, by the way, that straight, white, cisgender men have emotions as well. There are also humans who are impacted by the world around us. And we've also not, you know, culturally, we have not allowed those humans to have to express themselves in that ways and those ways. So even though it might have worked at some level, it didn't 
ultimately work in in the best ways possible for even that homogenous group of individuals. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, interesting because I saw on LinkedIn, and I don't remember the guy's name, and I believe he was a boxer. He had just won some fight, but he was talking about somebody that either a friend who had almost killed himself or did kill himself. And he was saying men have emotions too. And it's time that we started acknowledging that. Absolutely. And, And talking about how you feel and being able to express that and and be accepted because this tragic event was happening and he was i mean it was so moving and powerful and that he was able to take the moments after this fight that he had won and be able to express that i mean really gave him a great platform but we need more of that mm, absolutely absolutely and yeah. So I, when I, when we talk about it at Hummingbird, we talk about creating these workplaces where humans thrive. And there is a, this, there's a, this is a place where I depart from some of my colleagues in the DEI space and that we start from an acknowledgement of the reality that that workplaces don't work for all humans, including white cisgender straight men. Although certainly they have privilege in the way that those workplaces work, they also have, there's impacts to their humanity as well. So we say every, we can do better for everyone. And then we work to create what we call shared humanity, sorry, we work to create what we call shared humanity through building bridges of trust. So that's sharing our personal stories and experiences. And then as we navigate that journey together, then we can start to uncover the individual systemic oppression that has impacted different groups. So we certainly acknowledge and want to acknowledge and have to acknowledge the systemic oppression to the communities like the Black community or to women in the workplace, to the the disability community. But we want to take a different path to getting there, which is let's allow us all to be humans together. And as humans together, then how do we understand each other and support each other and be allies for each other and make decisions that allow for those workplaces to really thrive and so we can tear down those influences of systemic oppression in the workplace so that's the that's the the way that we try to approach it because um the one that's the, that's what we believe is the best way to it and uh um, we can talk about this if you want the uh, conversation and dialogue is an essential piece of that and what we what we believe is when you when you take all of those steps and you create that type of workplace and make the decisions and that are aligned with that commitment then as humans thrive, this is a, one of my core beliefs is if your humans in the humans in your workplace are thriving, then they're going to do great work. They're going to do better work. They're going to, and then your bottom line is going to, to make, to, to grow and to have a positive, you know, have positive numbers. So I guess they're in the, what do we call it? In the green. Um, yeah. that, that, you know, that's, it's sort of shifting the focus on the outcome to the input, which is the people. Right. Right. And when people are happier, the bottom line's getting you know, getting bigger, everything's more green. Like what are some of the other outcomes of having human, human-centric human organizations that are beneficial? Yeah, you know, it's, um, actually this is uh, sort of, we, there's so many different paths to sort of, to navigate as right answering these questions. When I go back to the question about why is it important today? And there's a reality that, and we've, we've alluded to this, but to say it explicitly, the demographics of the workforce are changing significantly. Um, and so the, you know, by 2040 in, in the United States, we will be, the population will, will be over 50% people of color. And so when you think about, and of course, we're already 50% women, 51% women in our country. Um, and there's, you know, there's other examples like that of how the population has, is evolving. 
So when I think about that from a business leader's perspective, and I still, by the way, I want business leaders to be still business leaders and make responsible decisions that have a return on investment that make have an impact and, and also acknowledge the humanity and infuse that into the decision-making. Well, if I'm a leader in a, in a company today that is that the, the demographics of my workforce are changing and the demographics of my clientele or customer base are changing, how do I make sure that I am honoring that and how I'm running my organization? Uh, mm-hmm. So I think there's that piece of it. There's a there's a financial imperative there and a business imperative. There's also the reality that when I think about Gen Y and Gen Z, uh, they have a, they're more overt um, and clear about their expectation that the places they work are invested in social good. So mm-hmm. if you're in the war for talent, that's another way of how, what are the stories you could tell and how can you in a meaningful, demonstrable way demonstrate, you know, to, that you are committed to a diverse, equitable and inclusive workplace and that you're giving back to the world around us. So, so there's, some bottom line impacts. There are some you know, organizational cultural impacts. There are talent attraction and retention impacts. So there's you know different lenses you could take. And you know one of the questions I get asked a lot is, are leaders doing this because it's the right thing to do or because it's good for business? And I say I don't care. Um, and I, I mean, if, I, and that's a little. Bit, it's a. It's a. Of course, I care. But the reality is, what I want them to be part of is the work and the conversation. So if you're starting from the Hey, I know this is good for business. Great. Let's do the work. If you're starting from, I want to do better for humans. Great. Let's do the work. Yeah. Because it's, I mean, it really is for me, at least it should be, I want to have great people working for me doing great work. So whether it's money or something else, then that's kind of just the extra added bonus. I'm curious too, are the Gen Z, Gen Y, are they driving more of this change and, and requiring more inclusiveness or okay yeah 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 it's i know and i I know that all of those listening can't see me nodding my head yes um you know the um yeah so i would say yes i think there are a few things we can point to so one of them i've already mentioned which is the changing demographics of the workplace and the the world around us Uh, the globalization of our economy um, is another piece of that puzzle um, of being able to reach and meet different cultural beliefs and religious beliefs and uh, you know different um, languages around the, around the globe there's you know a variety of pieces of that puzzle there's also i believe and i think others do as well the pandemic forced us into a perspective on humanity that none of us that are alive today have have seen or experienced mm-hmm. uh, i think there were uh, there were other moments in history, you might think about like the Black Plague and and how that affected such a, you know, the, everyone in, the, in really painful ways. So that was, I think the pandemic really ignited a conversation intersecting with the murder of George Floyd, which sort of threw the gates open for, we're not going to not talk about it anymore. Right. And, and then yes, absolutely. Gen Y and Gen Z, you know, they, and something that I, that I, when I talked to colleagues that are my age, I'm a Gen Xer or boomers, they're like, we cared too. And so it's not that we didn't care. It's that we believe that we couldn't be as vocal about what we wanted our companies to do or what we expected from our organizations, that with the organizations we work for. And Gen Y and Gen Z, they don't buy into that. They say, no, you have to do it or I'm not going to work here. I have other options. And I think the gig economy is one of the influencers there if they're like, I don't have to work for a company. I can make my own company. So it's the landscape has shifted and the power dynamics around what an individual's voice, how they can use their voice. Um, so I, I'm 
Like, thank you for coming to the workplace and helping create workplaces that feel better for me as a Gen Xer. I'm so grateful to those humans. Yeah, because I, for me, even starting with the millennials, I think I identify as a as somebody who is a Gen Xer too, but I identify more with the millennials and and Gen Y and possibly Z too. But because I've opted out of the corporate culture because it didn't work for me, particularly as a single mom, and what my core values were. But I think their commitment to I'm going to create other options has been such a great line in the sand that we it, it is the catalyst, and then having the pandemic kind of push everything, as you said, like wide open and George Floyd and even Roe v. Wade and the gun violence. Like it's all coming up and bumbling up of of everything that's not working. So how do we fix it? And I'm curious too, because particularly with Roe v. Wade and the conversation around guns, how like people have very strong beliefs, ideologies, expectations, thought processes, on, I think, both of those conversations, how do you bring people together in a workplace to heal some of that so that we can actually hear the other side? It's not easy. So let's like, just acknowledge that. And in the spirit of what we've already acknowledged, the world we live in enters the organizations we work in, just like our emotions that exist. They come with us when we come to the workplace. Right. So there, there's not a, there's not a, a, a physical wall or an invisible wall it's it all it all comes together and uh, we experience all of it wherever we wherever we may be so the the approach that we take at hummingbird and what we really believe in is this creating those facilitated spaces and I, I use the word facilitated in a an intentional way because when you begin to invite people within an organization to have conversations around very sensitive volatile topics, you want to make sure it's a safe space and having a professional facilitator who is comfortable, confident, and capable to navigate that conversation is really important. At some point in the future, you you want to be able, for those humans to be able to do it without that facilitator, but you start with having a professional in the space. And so the way we approach those conversations is uh, that we, uh, we, the programs that we deliver, we ask the group to read content or watch content or, or listen to a podcast, and then we have a conversation about it acknowledging that we're going to have different points of view and let's just let's start to understand how we each see the world through different lenses and why we see those the world through different lenses so our approach there is uh, and we've seen benefit with the and, and some impact with the approach is that we're not trying to make anyone feel bad we don't we're not shame and guilt and blame aren't productive in driving change um, what is productive in driving change is developing the the skills, the capability to have those conversations in ways that are respectful and intentional. And so we provide also, before we dive into the conversations, we provide some tools and some frameworks and we talk about and we practice safer conversations before we get to the more advanced conversations. And so what we, what I've seen, and and I think I was sharing sharing with you before we joined this call today is uh, I was with an organization, the Inclusion Council, an organization where we've taken about 40% of the workforce through this series that we call a diversity learning circle. And they, the, they were talking about Roe v. Wade today and the company's response and messaging. And it was really cool to see, and I wasn't facilitating, I was there as an advisor to answer questions that they might, that they, they might have. And they already were just, you know, from a, from a conversation perspective, they were just leaning into it from a respectful, thoughtful way. And, uh, and, and they were 
overtly acknowledging that they recognize not only that they have very, what's the word I want to use? Uh, they're very clear and passionate about their perspectives. And they know that their colleagues have their own clear and passionate perspectives and that they may not intersect. So just even that awareness allows for us to move from this place that is has been very polarizing, which change doesn't happen in a polarized environment, to a right. place where we're now starting to understand each other, respect each other and support each other, uh, which is which is really powerful. Yeah, that sounds, I mean, amazing too, because it's, in my head at least, and correct me if I'm wrong, once people can start to start understanding and hearing on one area where they feel different, it allows them to build a different connection and relationship with that person. Absolutely. And that skill then applies to the next conversation with the next human and so on. So when I and the team at Hummingbird, we're starting to create the way that we approach this work, we acknowledge that it's uh, it's not realistic for me to, I, I will never understand all of the experiences of women, um, much less all the experiences of Emmy. Like it's not possible, yeah. much, much less, you know, or women of color or women with disabilities, or, you know, there's all these different lenses. So that's not possible, but it is possible to build a skill set where I can engage in a dialogue of understanding in a respectful way. And even if we disagree, we can say, but hey, now I understand your point of view. So that's that's really powerful. So that's the that's what we try to 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 infuse and and the the culture of the organizations we get to work with. And and like I said, we've seen it um materialize in ways that I think is is are is powerful. And I'll share just a brief story of there's this the same client that I that I was sharing a story about just a few minutes ago. They um they're in the financial services space and they earlier this year they invited me to their investors conference. That sounded like a place I didn't want to be. Let's just like I'm a I'm an HR person who talks about culture and feelings right, and emotions. Right. <laughs> okay, but but of course I also believe in uh, the inherent value of the work that I do um, being informed by understanding the business of the company. So I right. said, you know, of course, thank you for inviting me and I'll be there. And I was, as I sat there for the two days, like this is the most human set of topics around financial services that I, I, I was a little perplexed and curious afterwards. And I asked the leaders, was it always this way? And they said, well, no, Brian, like this is, this is because of all the work that Hummingbird did and the conversations that you've had with us. And so they decided to approach their conference and the, and it happens to be a purpose driven financial services organization. So it's sort of easier for them to make the sleep in some ways. They're, but they're like, the people in that room, those investors are humans as well. So we're going to tell stories about our work in a way that's human because that's aligned with our values, that connects with the people that are there. That's why we do this work that we do. And, uh, that was really cool to see that, that, that transpire. And it's, you know, it wasn't based on, I'm going to help you understand about the experience of women. It's, I'm going to help you understand about how to think about things differently. Yeah. Which is really powerful because if you're thinking about things differently in one area, you're going to bring that same process to everything else around you. Yes. It's building that, you know, the, the, the curiosity, the, um, the critical thinking, the, you know, the ability to, so one of the tools we, we teach in the, the diversity learning circle that I mentioned is called practice the pause. So it's a series of five questions that, so when you start to feel the emotion bubble up and you want to say something, you say, do I, does it need to be said? Does it need to be said right now? Does it need to be said by me? 
can I say it with care and respect? And can I say it in a way the other person can hear it? Mm. So typically, by the way, what I find is once I start asking the questions, the answer, of course, is already don't say anything. There, as I go through, because <laughs> you're going to say it by, from an emotional perspective, and that's not going to help you. Um, and then the other questions, that I, as I consider them and reflect on them, they inform if I choose to take any step or if I just say, I'm going to move past that moment for me and just acknowledge that it's okay to be human and have an emotion and there's nothing I need to say. Or if I do need to say something that is, how do I have that conversation in a way that it is, I can connect with the other person in a respectful way and we can hear each other. Yeah. I mean, one of the most powerful things I've found when I'm upset and there needs to be some conversation with somebody is being able to not say anything and and recognize for myself that I can pick that conversation back up tomorrow or the day after and be like, hey, you know, I need to clear the air with something that I was experiencing. And then I've had time to process it. It's not as knee-jerk emotional and it comes out a lot better. And it's and then that person, as you said, can hear it and we reach a better understanding and a better outcome. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it, what we're talking about is, so I think you know that I have, have written a book, which I still am, it's surreal that, it's, that I have a book coming out um, next year about humanity in the workplace. And right. so that's about the the systems and the philosophies and the structures. I have to get through book one before I'm going to say I'm going to write book two, but I do. <laughs> right. Let's just, I haven't finished one. So got to get, got to get one done. But there is a there is a concept for book two, whether whether it'll, uh, whether it'll get written or not, we'll see what, where the what the future holds. But it's anchored in this dialogue we're having, which is, uh, yes, there is systemic oppression that is infused uh, into workplaces and that, that, that we have to change the, the cultures and systems. Mm-hmm. But the other thing that's also that that has happened is so many of us as humans have not developed the the muscle, the tools, the the frameworks, the approaches to having dialogue with other humans that have different experiences and different perspectives than us. And so what I find is when I sort of intersect these these two lenses is mm-hmm. oftentimes when I'm in spaces with with these the professionals, the leaders that, that I get to work with, they're like, okay, so Brian, I'm on board. Like I, I, I want to do better. I want to create work, a workplace where we're not, uh, you know, that oppression is we're taking that out of the equation where we're diverse, equitable, and inclusive, but I'm going to get it wrong. I'm going to make a mistake. I am going to say something that's hurtful or harmful, even though I don't intend to and so on. So they have, there's all of these fears that start to emerge. Um, and those are because this wasn't how we grew up and and we didn't grow up in systems and cultures and environments that helped us develop these capabilities. Uh, so that's what the, 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 the working title, which sort of changes every time I say it out loud is all the things I learned while I was getting it wrong, because <laughs> it's so true. Yeah. And I think at least for me, if you admit that upfront, like I'm going to say something wrong and it's not my intention to upset or insult or hurt anybody. And I'm learning how to be a better communicator. Like people give you space. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, and you know, and what you're, you're offering there for, for those listening is there are, and I, there's sort of two ways I think about this. There is the, the way that you just described it are the, what are the things you say before you say what you want to say, um, to say, Hey, I'm going to fumble through this because I'm, I'm, I'm feeling discomfort, but I know I want to say it so we can have this conversation. So you frame it in a way that helps to, to provide some, some, safety, some sort of like, it's a little bit like padding around that moment that you can navigate it. And then the other lens I think about it through 
which is something that I have have tried to do uh, for many years as a manager and as a leader is I say to the, the people that that I have the privilege to, to lead. Here's the thing. I I can promise you and and guarantee that I will always try to show up with respect and care and consideration. And and I want you to feel good about working with me and working at this organization. I can also guarantee that at some point, I'm probably going to say something that you don't like or that doesn't feel good. I didn't intend it. I didn't mean it. But I want you to, to let me know when that happens. I want I want that for us to have that conversation. Because if I did something that was harmful or hurtful um, or that doesn't, didn't feel good to you, I want to understand why. And if I did something wrong, uh, I mean, part of it may be just we don't understand each other. But if, if we, what we learned in that conversation is Brian got it wrong and I get it wrong sometimes, then I will apologize and I will own that moment. And I want that moment to happen because I want us to not have this thing between us. I want us to be able to heal and get past it. And, and I'm grateful for the and what I've also learned is to be because those are moments are uncomfortable for me when they happen. But I'm grateful that I work with people who care about me enough and respect me enough to say, Brian, hey, this moment happened. It didn't feel good. Hey, can we talk about it? Absolutely. Yeah. Let's talk about it. Yeah. I, I mean, on both sides, like there's an enormous amount of vulnerability. And I really appreciate when people say to me, hey, I had this experience and it wasn't great. Yeah. Yeah. I want to circle back um, really quick. A few minutes ago, you talked about curiosity. And what I'm curious about is, yeah, we can throw it in there. No, but what, what I'm curious about is, are people more curious now as we're starting to have some of these conversations about hearing other people? Like in my head, we get entrenched in kind of our own thought processes and beliefs. And what place does curiosity have in being a starting point for conversations? Yeah. So it's a, the, the, the first part of that question of the, are people becoming more curious? Uh, I, I will say, I hope so. You know, the, it's hard to not, to not have that perspective influenced by the polarizing realities of particularly the United States and media. Yeah. And the media. So it's, and I had, I had a great conversation, um, when I was in England a couple of weeks ago at a queer leadership retreat with, with one of the, the other attendees. And we were talking about how much that the media messages can influence our world. And if you listen to the media and they were talking about in the UK, like the transgender community is not accepted. And I'm like, but I know lots of people in those workplaces in the UK and the United States that are like, you and uh, and so I so there's you know it's hard to sort of figure that part of it out and I try not to let that noise get in the way but it's but I do think that the whether it's curiosity that's leading or just awareness because the information is being shared I do think we are more aware and understanding um, as a community of humans that uh, we have different experiences I think we're struggling with how do we hear each other and so that's the you know that's where I think you know curiosity for example can be really Help, healthy and helpful in that journey of us understanding each other. The other, when we talk about this in, in, in our workshops at Hummingbird, the, what we describe is if you start to attack someone, so you've hurt me, you said, you know, Emmy, you said something about my identity as a gay person that bothered me. So now I'm going to tell you, Emmy, that you're a bad human. And so, <laughs> and so then you go into fight, fight or freeze. You get back into a corner. Um, unless you're able to not, not let that become an emotional moment for you, which is not something most humans are good at. So then you go into fight, flight, or freeze. And so then I'm attacking you and you're like defending yourself. 
Well, there's no information exchange that happens there. So we say, let's not move into the shame, blame, guilt conversation, which moves people into opposite corners. Let's move into this conversation of curiosity, of connection, of shared understanding, even if you disagree. And that's um, more meaningful. And that's how we move those the cultures and the conversation forward. Yeah, it's really, really powerful. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, it's, and I think some of the, I won't offer to try to offer any solutions and, and the com- complex conversations around like Roe v. Way or gun control. Um, but I, but what I do believe as I've sort of paid attention to the, those, those conversations and others is the perspective, the people with the loudest voices are entrenched and polarizing opposite perspectives. Mm-hmm. And I guess I wonder if we could say, let's not be in our corners. Let's have a conversation. Are there middle grounds? Are there compromises? Are there ways to, to reach a, a better answer that, that is a, that meets everyone's needs? Um, and everyone is typically 80% of people's needs. But, you know, I, I just, I wonder if, how do we get there? And like I said, yeah. I'm not going to solve those big, those big problems. Uh, I focus on the, the problems in front of me because that's how I know I'm making an impact. But that's the, I do think that the way of, of infusing, if we infuse more um, humans with the ability to have these conversations, then maybe some of those bigger systemic issues will find their way to a better resolution. I really hope, so, you know, we said before we hit record, I find a lot of it very heavy and, and frustrating. Like my heart hurts for so many people. And I really truly believe the only way to create a better workplace, a better world, even just healthier, happier families is through the communication, curiosity, and and learning to accept each other and finding that place where 80%, you know, is is good. We can move forward with that. I think that's kind of the way it works for most relationships, right? There's not everything is amazing about the people you're with and it's learning to accept them for who they are and yeah. appreciate them. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I, you know, the, this is, um, I, I want to share just a, a brief story about uh, one of the participants in one of those diversity learning circles. And this was a leader who came into the space and we invite people to share in the first session how you're feeling about being in the space. And he was clear that he was not happy that he was in that space and he disagrees with what we're going to talk about. Okay, cool. Thanks for being here. I'm just glad you showed up. Like, And and we will do our best to never make him feel bad for having a different perspective because that's the antithesis of what we're trying to accomplish. And he showed up to every session and he engaged in every conversation. He read the content. He did all of the work. Um, I didn't get the feeling that he disagreed with everything, but I also... You know, it was, we were aware that he had different perspectives and that's okay. I'm glad that he was there to share those perspectives because those are good for me to understand and others to understand as well. But there was this beautiful moment where this person who said very clearly up front, I don't agree with all the things you're going to learn here. So that puts me into a, I'm going to put up my force field and I'm going to, I'm going to be ready <laughs> for something happened to happen that's going to hurt my feelings. And I have a, one of the groups of humans that I am particularly uh, have an affinity for and I feel like I want to protect or the, and not, and not that they necessarily need my protection, but the group of non-binary and transgender humans. And I'm fortunate to have some really beautiful humans in my life with that identity, which is why I care so much. Mm-hmm. My co-facilitator in this, in this course was, is a person who's non-binary and uses he, they pronouns. And after one of the, the sessions, this leader said, to JD, the other facilitator, and I can I talk to you for a minute afterwards. And uh, now this is someone who has said 
but I don't agree with all the things that you're teaching us here. And the leader said, GD, I just wanted to say, I don't, I don't completely understand the pronouns that you have on your, on your, your profile name there, but I know I've been using the he pronouns and that's been, hasn't felt good for you. I'm really sorry. That's awesome. It was incredible. And I still get emotional about it of, cause I'm like, I don't need you to agree with all the philosophies and systems. I just need you to treat other humans with respect and care. And yeah. it, was, it was, it was a really beautiful moment that has stuck with me um, of what's more important is how we show up for each other in those moments than it is about whether you agree with the way that I frame whatever philosophy. Right, right. Well, and it's the acknowledgement. Like, I see you, I hear you. And that's really powerful. And it changes the, the dynamic again of the culture, the relationship, how people are interacting, even on just a small daily basis. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's amazing. It's amazing. Curious too, because we're talking about bigger organizations for a small business owner who maybe only has a few people on their team. How can they utilize some of this? Hmm. It's a good question. So a a couple tools that I'll just reference is if you go to the hummingbirdhumanity.com website, we have a resources tab. So part of our commitment is to create materials and content and tools that anyone can use. So please, if you're a small business owner and you need some tools and resources, go use those. Um, mm-hmm. and we're happy to share them. The other website that I'll mention is the CEO Action for Inclusion and actually CEOaction.com is the website. And they have a resources collection there. They have videos and they have facilitator guides and they, so they have a a ton of stuff that um, which that that initiative is uh, sponsored by PwC, and so they that is part of their social good commitment. So there's some resources and tools that you can use that you, if you don't have the budget, particularly to hire a DEI firm. And you know I, what I say to to leaders, regardless of where, what level they're at or the size of their organization or the role they play in that organization, is if you want to become to create us an environment that is more diverse, equitable, and inclusive, start the conversation, take the first step. Yeah. It doesn't, doesn't have to be perfect. Um, yes, can, can Honeybird help you build a wonderful strategy and roadmap and all the steps? Of course we can, but I just want you to start. So take that first step. And so the first step can be, let's have a conversation about our our lived experiences. Let's talk about who we are as individuals. Um, our, our foundational starting point of our program, and there's several, several other, other firms that that I that I know use a, a variation on this, is a workshop workshop that we call Who Am I? And we talk about uh, the human iceberg and our and the, the way that the the, the conversation uh, is facilitated. It's fairly simple. We look at the human iceberg and I identify that we have visible and invisible identities. You then write down for yourself what are your identities, and you ask yourself how have these identities shaped my, how I show up in the world and how others perceive me, and then you share. And so, you know, for me, what I share there is I am perceived and, and you can't see this and even you can't see it i'm six right. foot six inches tall so i'm a very tall male white cisgender male um and so you know i'm of that of the identity of, of individuals that are privileged and i am let's acknowledge that but i'm also a gay man and a person with a disability and have dealt with, dealt with mental health issues and those parts of my identity are much more powerful and in influencing who i am and how i show up so we have this conversation and we hear these stories from each person right. and you're like wow, I didn't know that about you. Um, so you can use that workshop if you're listening. Um, yeah. And then you can borrow from other tools to have other conversations from those those two websites. And I would just say just, just start the journey. 
Yeah, I, well, and I agree. And I think, I mean, everything that we're talking about, about just starting the conversation uh, and and allowing people to express themselves is really a great takeaway and, and curiosity. Yeah, well, and curiosity is is such a powerful tool in so many lens, that lenses or aspects <laughs> of life and work. So yes, lead into curiosity whenever you can. I promise it will serve you well. Um, yeah, and you know, I think the, if you're in if you if you're in a manager leader business owner founder position, I think it's also um, helpful, maybe important to recognize that regardless of your identity, you are in a position of privilege and power. So you might be from a very marginalized community, but in that role, you have the role that al- that that allow that provides permission to the people that work in your organization that allow that to say, we're going to have these conversations. We're going to create this environment. So, um, you know, lean into that and you can lean into it as human. I, you know, I talk about my humanity all the time as a CEO and founder. I still don't quite know how I got a CEO title, but that's another conversation for another day. <laughs> but I, but I want to embody and, and, um, practice what I preach. And so I try to be human and, uh, and I'll actually, I'll, I'll, I'll share one example of that. I go to therapy. I will be going to therapy in 30 minutes with my, my therapist and it's on my calendar. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't think about this when I did it, but the whole team can see my calendar. There's nothing confidential about my calendar. And they told me one day, they're like, Brian, thank you so much for putting therapy on your calendar because uh, it gives us all permission to go to our own therapy sessions. It's like, why wouldn't you put your therapy session on your calendar? Like, if you need to block the time, block the time. But yeah. I didn't, I didn't fully appreciate the, the cue that I'm sending by that vulnerability. I didn't try to hide that part of, of mm-hmm. my, of my life. I'm like, this is just something I need to do. And there was this beautiful side effect of, I also gave the team permission to do what they need to do for their mental health. Yeah. You know, that's really powerful. And I appreciate that so much. Um, and it resonates with me because I get body work every week and like religiously, like it's part of what helps me work at a high level. It's part of what keeps me healthy. Mm-hmm. And I used to have my team call right after it. And everybody's like, oh, well, what did you get done today? But it gave, it's the same thing. It gave them permission to take care of themselves. And self-care, self-care is so important. Um, yeah. It is a um, a lost art for so many. And I think some of that is, uh, maybe some, maybe it's more than some, but I'll just say some for now, is driven by the influences of our organizational culture. So there's these, 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 these you know, supplemental impacts of these cultures that have happened in workplaces that um, have led to like humans who don't take care of themselves. So it's a sort of, how do we shift all of these different components? And I don't expect that this, the, it's going to become better tomorrow. Um, but I do hope that, you know, next year I can say, look back and say, Hey, here's where, you know, some humans that I've made an impact on and here are some workplaces I've made an impact on. And I'm part of this work and as are you and as are so many others and together um, we're going to, we're going to change the world. Yes, absolutely. Brian, it has been amazing having you on today. So I'm so grateful and have loved our conversation. Thank you. Thank you. It's a, well, I, as I've shared at the beginning, I, I, I'm always uh, grateful for the opportunity to, to share with others and, and hopefully contribute yeah. to their perspectives and, and, you know, and, and thinking out loud and sharing is also, is always great for me as well. Um, cause I always take something away from each conversation. So thank you for the, the, the time and the opportunity and the, the space to, to just be a human with you. And you're welcome. Well, it's my pleasure and share with everybody where the best places to connect with you are. 
Sure. Uh, the the best place to connect with me is on my LinkedIn, uh, on LinkedIn, uh, which is uh, just you know, Brian McComick. Fairly fairly straightforward. Although spelling McComick is hard, so it's M C C O M A K. Uh, <laughs> if you're writing this down and not not at the the link on the computer and. Um, I also encourage you to to visit the Hummingbird Humanity website and sign up for our newsletter um, or follow Hummingbird Humanity on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Yes. And I just connected with you on Instagram. So I love your puppy pictures. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. It's um so that's uh Bosco. Bosco is my dog, medical research dog, and he showed up on the the Zoom screens many times during the pandemic. And so he has the official title as Hummingbird's chief app happiness officer. And, yeah. Um, yeah. And so now Bosco shares Bosco's biscuits, uh, which are tips um, for how you can be uh, a human centered human. <laughs> I love it. That's so much fun. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, like, I'm, I'm, I'm a big believer in uh, this work is serious. It is important. It is, it requires us to be serious at times. And, you know what? We're humans and it's okay to have humor and to, to have levity and laughter is one of the best medicines. So, yeah. so that's, you know, so we are like, Hey, but people, you know, people love Bosco. Bosco makes people smile. Let's let Bosco be part of the work. I think that's brilliant. And for me, uh, one of my core values is play. So that <laughs> brings in that, that part of the fun and silliness that I enjoy with just unstructured play, ridiculous play. So. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. It was such a pleasure. Thank you so much for being a listener of the Tribe of Leaders podcast. I am so grateful for each and every episode that you tune in and listen to. And I hope that you get a ton of value that you can implement starting today. I do have just a quick favor. If you wouldn't mind hopping on to wherever it is that you listen to podcasts and leave us a rating and review, it would help us tremendously so that the Tribe of Leaders podcast can be found more easily and help inspire other entrepreneurial leaders.